So you can have this exponential impact on shareholder value by doing these um, acquisitions. And so, uh, you know, that's that's the bit I like is that you you can now go out and do stuff without uh, without needing money. Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I have an amazing guest here for you today, Jeremy. Jeremy, thank you so much for being here with us today. Why you, Michelle? Awesome. And you are joining us from where today? I, I'm in Dubai, slightly, slightly warmer than Calgary, I think. Awesome. You don't really have a native Dubai accent. I'm going to point you out on that one. No, I'm, I'm a Brit, um, but I haven't lived in the UK for quite some time. I lived 12 years in Singapore, so I think I've even lost a bit of my British accent now. But uh, but yeah, uh, um, uh, yeah, the most British thing about me is my passport. Awesome. I'll have to ask you if you managed to see any of the Formula One while you were in Singapore, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Give us a 5,000 foot view of who you are and what you love to do. Yeah, so look, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur, um, born and bred, started at a very young age and um, uh, left school at 15 to pursue an entrepreneurial dream that ultimately collapsed around my ears when I was 19, which was a good dose of humility at a young age. I think it was quite a valuable um, experience. And I, do you know, I was having lunch with somebody today and I actually said the biggest thing that taught me um, was that uh, when you're running a business and you're in trouble, you know, it feels like you're on a tightrope and that experience made me realize the tightrope is only six inches off the ground. And so if everything you've ever dreamed of is on the other end of that tightrope, which by the way, it's not, but anyway, if, if everything you ever dreamed of is on the other end of that tightrope, and you know it's only six inches off the ground, why wouldn't you run? Um, so when I kind of brushed myself off and started again, I've kind of had a, a, a sort of never say die attitude of kind of um, running at things full tilt, which has kind of served me relatively well over the years. Awesome. I love that. So who are you working with now and what are you doing? Yeah, so um, I so uh, uh, when I brushed myself off, I started a telecoms company, grew that um, relatively quickly, but discovered that I could acquire competitors without um, borrowing money from banks or putting in cash because basically banks wouldn't lend me money and I didn't have any cash. So it was one of those necessity is the mother of invention uh, situations. Um, and I, I grew that company through a series of acquisitions um, quite quickly um, and then sold it in 2006 and, and just had a couple of epiphanies, really. One of them is you don't, don't make money running businesses, you make money when you sell them. Um, that scaling through acquisition is the only way, once you've, once you've got that first dose of organic growth out of the way, it's the only way you can really move the dial, have that order of magnitude growth in a year. You know, an acquisition is a great way of adding like another year's worth of revenue in an afternoon that you just can't really do with sales and marketing or team, which are the normal kind of levers that people are, uh, are, play, are playing with. And so um, I decided after that, I would just um, buy and sell companies because I really enjoyed doing the deals. You know, in, in entrepreneurship, I employed hundreds of people. I did lots of startups and things like that. And I, I kind of came, I guess, to the realization that um, I really enjoyed business and I really enjoyed entrepreneurship and creating value um, but the staff and the customers kind of took all the joy out of it. And so if I could figure out a business that didn't involve staff or customers, that would be my kind of holy grail 
business. And so buying and selling companies where the company is the product and you buy the shares and sell the shares in, in the company kind of became a sweet spot. And I, I got quite prolific at it and did uh, well over 100 transactions um, over a decade or so. Um, I've been doing it for a couple of decades in total. Um, and then discovered capital markets and taking companies public. And so since then, I've done a couple of IPOs, about 60 reverse takeovers or reverse mergers, which is where you take companies public by pushing a private company into a public company. Um, and yeah, and various other deals around that sort of um, space. So my, I guess my day job at the moment is identifying really great companies that would benefit from going public because it's a very misunderstood um, thing. I think people always think it's way beyond reach or it's not for me or it's further down the line or it's for raising money or it's for exiting and, and really it's none of those things and so it's kind of identifying great companies that would sit well um, in the capital markets which would be a great uh, opportunity for investors to participate in um, and taking them through that go public transaction and obviously with my background in buying and selling companies the quickest way to then add value to those businesses once they're listed is by helping them acquire other businesses to, uh, to grow. Nice. I love this conversation. The first time I ever heard of this conversation, it was like, you can what? (laughs) My whole world opened up. I was like, I don't know what you just said, but I love that. (laughs) I I had to know more. Um, I can't say as I've ever acquired a company yet, but I'm still very much enamored by the idea. And I don't think a day goes by that I don't go, you know, this would be a lot easier if we just bought somebody else's company out. So, um, yeah, so, but- so I think the really big epiphany for me was this, um, you know, having done startups, there's kind of that, for, there's, there's kind of a no man's land or a lost two to three years at the beginning where you're, you know, sorting out the website, the logo, getting your first customer, perfecting your product, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then you kind of get your inertia and it starts to kind of take off. And, um, and, and I guess buying a company, you just cut that three years out and you've only got so many of those three years left in your in your life. You know, there's only so many times you can do a startup for your mental health, I think, as much as anything else. So <laughs> right. um, buying a company, I think, is a very useful uh, way to just run the last 10 yards of the marathon, but still get a medal. Um, and, you know, even if you pivot that business into the thing that you thought of in the shower, that morning, um, at least you've got staff and customers and revenue and things that you can you, know, you can utilize to, to execute that, that business plan. Um, and for, for growth, like I say, I think when there comes a stage in a business where the entrepreneur, if you're not careful, you get sucked into the day-to-day operations and you really become you know, a glorified salesperson or a glorified operations person in a business that you own. And it becomes a bit of a prison because you can't escape it. And I think M&A is a great way of moving up the ladder to kind of sit on the business instead of in it so that you can focus your diary on you know mergers acquisitions joint ventures or an exit for the business which are the things that are going to have that order of magnitude impact on shareholder value and you're the shareholder so it benefits you um, whereas if you stay stuck in the business you're kind of really just doing a job um, and i think um, you know quite often entrepreneurs they're creative they love change um, you know, businesses don't like that constant change and constant creativity. So really diverting that energy into something like deal making, I think, is a great way of keeping the entrepreneurial spirit alive, not grinding you down into some operational job and also cutting out those kind of lost decades that you can sometimes get. I mean, I ran my telecoms company for 10 years and you think about it. Well, 
you're pretty pointless for the first 20 years of your life and you're not very much use in the last 20 years of your life. So how many, how many decades have you got in the middle of that, you know, uh, where you're really functional and not getting up three times a night to pee? Um, so <laughs> Does that do? make you an internal optimist? Or I, I think I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an optimist, but with a balanced view of my mortality. <laughs> Fair enough. So we will get into kind of your sweet spot and what you love to do now, but I'm going to back you up to a statement that you said very nonchalantly that I think so many entrepreneurs miss and it breaks my heart is you don't make money running a business. You make money selling a business. And it is so true. They're all trying to fight to make their wage. And it's like, okay, dude, that that's a job. <laughs> you have to yeah. start seeing this differently. So I know how I see it, but how do you see those growing years, if you want to put put it that way, or that stage where the entrepreneur comes in and they're they're hustling, they're grinding, they're doing the thing. What yeah, kind of mindset should they have in that moment to get through that and move on? Yeah, I learned this lesson late, um, and uh, and basically I thought that the key to you know wealth and financial freedom and success was building a great big business, you know, empire building, um, creating income. Um, what I now realize is income is just what you spend. And as your income increases, so does your lifestyle. And uh, I think it was Oscar Wilde that says, a man that lives within his means lacks imagination. Um, <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, there's always the next thing and the bigger thing and the other thing you can, you know, you can buy or do or, you know, um, experience and, uh, and, and you know, these things um, are made much, much easier and much more uh, fun when you have some money, you know. Um, uh, Zig Ziglar said money's not important, but it's right up there with oxygen. So I don't think we should diminish the um, enjoyment that it can that it can bring. Um, but look, money money doesn't change people, it magnifies them. So if you're a miserable bastard, you're going to be a really miserable bastard with money. Um, if you're, if you're a, you know, a happy person, you're going to be happy and have money. So it, it doesn't really change, uh, change you, but uh, it does give you options and choices, which are uh, fantastic for you and your family. And uh, yeah, it uh, does make uh, life more comfortable. So um, yeah, I think uh, I focused on income. Then I had a capital event. I sold a business. And um, capital events are really interesting because there's a concentration of income. It's a chunk of money that comes in one go. Now, if you start with nothing like I did, it's very hard to create capital events without having capital. You know, you normally have to, the most common way I see is people buying a house, doing it up and selling it, or even buying a house and doing nothing with it. And the market goes up and they sell it and they create a, a capital event. But if you don't have money to start with, you can't really do that. So entrepreneurship is a great leveler because literally you can be, you know, uh, the king or the street sweeper and down to your effort, ingenuity and, uh, and smarts, you can be successful in business. And then that business creates value and that value can then be capitalized upon and create the capital event. Now, when you get the capital event, you suddenly have um, money that works for you and creates uh, income without you having to put anything into it. So it's that uh, it gets you out of the time for money trap. So now you have money that comes in that's not dependent on your time and input, if, if you do it right, because of course you can just stick it into another startup or you can stick it into property and you have to deal with all the tenants and fixing boilers and stuff like that. But if you put it into a, you know, a normal income generating portfolio, you can generate a passive income stream. That means that you not only have all your time back, because I think people forget how much time they're invested in their business, but you have this uh, income stream that's not dependent on your time anymore. And then you're 
either very powerful or very dangerous. It comes back to um, uh, types of people. So you can get the divorce, the Aston Martin, you know, the alcohol problem, or you can go on and do bigger and better things. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, it's your choice now. You have time and money, which are the two things entrepreneurs never have. And um, yeah, I found that out a bit later um, uh, than most, but I now realize that the, instead of trying to run a business for 20 years and create one massive capital event. You know, the first time you sell a business, you're likely to screw something up because you know, no one's done it before. Um, just like when you first sold a product, you had to learn how to sell the product and how to make it work. Um, so what you want to really focus on, I believe anyway, is um, creating a series of small capital events that, uh, that gradually build your wealth uh, and, uh, and give you the opportunity to basically get better and better at it. So, I mean, my first half a dozen companies I probably sold for you know, six figures or even some sort of late five figure sort of sums um, before I started doing the seven figure and eight figure kind of transactions. And, and you know, these were the stomping ground that prepared me for the bigger deals um, later on. But that those, those capital events are really what create the financial freedom. So you sh I believe as an entrepreneur, you should focus on where is my next capital event coming from? Or how do I take what I'm doing now and turn it into a capital event. So can I free up my time and create a pot of capital that will work for me instead of me having to work for it? Nice. Love that. So talk to me about what you're looking for in particular when you're looking for um, either mergers and acquisitions, if you're still doing that, or when you're looking at acquiring a company to go with an IPO. Yeah, so it's a number of things. So I guess a sweet spot would be a company that would like to go public and acquire its competitors. So a business that's in a fragmented industry that's 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 kind of uh, sexy. So you know there are things like healthcare, food security, clean energy, those sort of areas that are quite um, popular uh, at the moment. Um, and uh, so businesses in that space where they can see an opportunity to grow by acquisition. So by acquiring a bunch of other companies, they feel they could uh, you know, dominate that sector. I'm not looking to run these businesses. So I'm looking for people that are already running them that are excited about that industry, that know it and understand it. And uh, I basically pay to take their company public in exchange for shares and then help them go and buy a bunch of other companies. So we have a huge community of entrepreneurs around the world called the Harbor Club. It's about 2000 of us in, in pretty much every country in the world. And uh, so if we have, say, a clean energy business and they're looking for, I don't know, waste to energy plants, we can reach out to that community and say, we'd like to acquire waste to energy plants. What have you got? And we'll get a flood of inbound um, uh, inquiries. Um, the other uh, sort of um, project that we work on is something called agglomeration. So agglomeration is a, is a trademark sort of uh, governance structure that we came up with, which um, enables multiple small businesses to effectively share common holding company, a public company. So they get the benefits of being a public company, like pitching for bigger contracts, attracting better talent, um, yeah, uh, punching above their weight generally when they go into negotiations with people, getting liquidity in their shares. Because obviously when you have a private company, your shares are, are, are worthless because uh, until you sell it, there's no crystallization of, of gain. In a public company, you can sell a few shares and go and buy a Porsche if you want to. So um, uh, it gives entrepreneurs a whole bunch of freedom as well as a platform to help them uh, grow their business. And agglomerations tend to be um, perhaps the businesses that wouldn't be sexy enough to go public on their own, or maybe they wouldn't want to go public for all the scrutiny and everything you get as a, as a public company. So they join one of these sort of umbrella um, organizations, which gives them the benefits without perhaps some of the traditional headwinds. And they're the two main areas that I focus on. So for example, we have a company called MBH Corporation, which um, we listed in 2018. That's an agglomeration. 28 amazing small businesses have joined that group so far in the last two years. 
Um, and it's now, yeah, this group of 28 companies in Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, the UK, the US, and Canada. So all the English speaking English law countries, basically. Um, and then um, uh, we just listed a clean energy company called CMG Clean Tech. It's listed on the Paris Euronext um, Stock Exchange, and that's a battery solar and hydrogen fuel cell uh, company. And again, very acquisitive in the clean uh, energy uh, space. Um, that's relatively new. It's about 200 million uh, market cap so far and growing uh, quite quickly. Uh, and um, yeah, really, a really exciting uh, business. Fascinating. Okay, one, I have to start following you from, if nothing else, a stock perspective. <laughs> and two, so are these conglomerates a, conglomerate, sorry, a, a mix of, I'm assuming, all similar companies, if not same but different so the, clean, the clean tech business is focused on uh, everything in the clean energy space, but actually MBH is kind of like a mini Berkshire Hathaway type of model in that it's just great businesses that have good cash flows, are very well established. The average age of a company in that group is 23 years old. And we have everything from, um, we have uh, a real estate business, a um, construction services companies, we have education businesses, we have transportation uh, businesses. So it's a real mixture of uh, different types of companies in that uh, uh, in that 28 companies. But they, they tend to form in verticals. So you have one vertical with several companies in the same sector, and obviously they find synergies together. But you'd also be amazed at what synergies they find across the different verticals as well, ways that they can collaborate and improve, uh, you know, improve opportunities for everyone. Entrepreneurs put together in a room is a, is a magical thing to behold. It's, um, I often joke, it's like putting two cats in a bag, you end up with kittens, you know. <laughs> Little businesses running everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just can't stop ourselves. <laughs> so, Hopefully, it oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Nice. So, well, I'll get into it later. Um, so, my curiosity obviously goes to, so do you have any of those for uh, marketing? Because that seems to be, to me, a huge one. But it's also, in a weird sort of way, um, also kind of re receding, in my opinion, because I think yeah, I might so take obviously... over... Yeah, I mean, obviously, digital marketing and direct marketing are taking over from perhaps traditional print ad and, and that sort of area. I'm amazed that the traditional advertising agency model still actually functions. I mean, I think it's still something like 80% of all ad spend is is done on Madison Avenue. Um, really? Which is, which is frightening, yeah, when you consider that, you know, it really is a throw enough shit at the wall and some of it will stick strategy um, compared, <laughs> to, you know, compared to online or digital, which is so measurable and deliverable else but right. i think there's obviously a lot of um long champagne fueled lunches that do that seal those deals so you've uh, got to move to manhattan that's <laughs> will, uh, yeah it, it, i'm sure it will wash out or snap back at some point but i've been amazed how long that's that survived um because it's 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 already been disrupted it's just kind of waiting to die i think um oh. but no advertising agencies are i mean obviously look um if you take the top 200 uh, marketing companies in the world 198 of them are roll-ups of companies. So including the four big ones, you know, WPP, Omnicom, Publicis, um, Bensu, um, they're all groups of companies, WPP's 2,600 acquisitions. So it's a, you know, a, a roll-up in, in every sense. Um, that would have been a nice commission, Sean, okay? Yeah, so well, look, um, uh, the good thing is when you approach, when you approach agency owners, they're yep. expecting to be bought. That's pretty much their model. Um, I'm going to grow it to this size and somebody will buy me. Um, the problem is once they've sold out to one of the big four, they never want to go there again. And then they start another one and realize that's the only option open to them is to end up going back into the thing that screwed them over last time. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, I think there is, uh, there are opportunities certainly to roll up. It's a very fragmented space. It's a space that expects to be rolled, rolled up. And I think the agglomeration model, which, which allows people to, um, you know, paddle their own canoe and drive their own business in the, in the direction that they're driving in it, but with some of the benefits of being a public company, I think, uh, it would work extremely well in that sector. I did, uh, I played around in that sector, but we've not had uh, success in putting a, a group together thus far. Very cool. So let's talk about IPOs because in my brain, an IPO is a completely different kettle of fish than pretty much anything on the planet. <laughs> it's, a, it's like all of a sudden you're thinking different, you're walking different, you're talking different, you're having different conversations. Like it is just a different kettle of fish. So one, what's the fascination with it? And two, where do most people go wrong? Yeah, so look, I think it's on the entrepreneur's bucket list now. Um, right. Ring that bell at Nasdaq, or you know, to to take a company public. It's a you know, it's a it's an achievement. It's something you can be uh, um, you can be proud of. And I think the misconception for most people is that you go public to raise a lot of money or to exit. And I think that's driven by the fact that the investment banking world makes their money raising money, so they're only interested in companies that want to raise money. Um, and private equity has historically used IPO as an exit route. So they would invest in your company until IPO and then take that money back and go and go into new private companies. And so I think in people's consciousness, they, they think of it as an exit. Well, of course, for the entrepreneur, it's not an exit. It's actually, I think the better way to look at it is it's the start of the journey, um, not the end. So in fact, if you look at the biggest companies in the world, their exponential growth started after they went public. So Jeff Bezos and Amazon, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Meta or... Um, you know, Sergey Brin and uh, Google or uh, Elon Musk and Tesla and so on and so on. You know, so many stories like that, um, Steve Jobs and Apple, you know, they go public and then the public company becomes their platform to really grow because they can attract capital more easily. They can attract the best talent in the world. They have enormous credibility now when they go into pitch uh, clients and they get better terms from suppliers and from banks and, uh, and everything. It's, um, it really does take the business up a, a significant level. Now that comes with some some downsides. There's a lot more transparency, a lot more reporting. Um, you you know you have to stop sticking the nanny through the payroll. Um, there's a few <laughs> there's a few things that. Uh, um, Can I still write my dog off as security? <laughs> but but on, on balance, I think the juice is worth the squeeze. So you know, um, right. if, it, if it's right for them, it's right. For so um, yeah, I think there's um, uh, there's some real advantages. The thing I really like about it, because I like buying businesses and, and I don't like borrowing money from banks or, or taking on loads of investments by businesses, is that you can issue um, effectively tradable securities like a currency. So when you're a public company, you have you have your shares and your share price. So I mean, I'm just looking at one of my companies here now, CMG. It's on the Paris Euronext. I can see the ticker, and it's seven euros today, and the market cap is 212 million euros. Well, if I wanted to buy another company, I could issue another 100 million euros of stock at seven euros a share and give that to another company in consideration for their business. So I would then acquire a 100 million euro company without having to find uh, any money. Now, as long as my public company is trading at a higher multiple of earnings than I'm paying them for their private company, there's an earnings per share increase. They call it an accretive acquisition. So you can have this exponential impact on shareholder value by doing these um, acquisitions. And so, uh, you know, that's that's the bit I like is that you you can now go out and do stuff without uh, without needing money. That is awesome. You just took creative accounting to a whole new level for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is brilliant. Absolutely. 
Okay, so super fun. And um, sorry, my brain just went pop. <laughs> just, <laughs> I was absolutely listening to everything you said and everything I was thinking in the background just went, are you paying attention to this? I'm already ringing the bell. I'm, like, I'm totally there. So give us a Cinderella story of uh, one of the companies that you're working with. Um, yeah, so look, let's do the, the clean tech business. So, I mean, literally, this was a uh, so it was founded by a guy who's got 20 years experience in the um, uh, eco kind of green construction space, but for very large companies. So, um, uh, you know, for very large companies in Europe, and then the head of um, battery technology from Formula from Formula One team. Um, obviously, the Formula One teams. But when was it when they had the last engine round? Anyway, the previous engine to the one they have now was the first time they went hybrid. And so all the Formula One teams had to invest a huge amount in understanding battery and electric technology. Um, and so um, they've created this amazing uh, uh, technology suite, which is a hydrogen fuel cell, a solar canopy um, that you can put pretty much anywhere and, uh, and, you, and using this um, battery technology. So they can replicate things like the Tesla solar roof for half the price and 30% more efficient. They can create off-grid charging solutions, off-grid power solutions for um, things they're doing. For example, right now, they're changing all of the um, signal points on the Saudi Arabian railway, um, which currently all run on diesel generators that just chug away 24-7, spitting out carbon dioxide in the middle of the desert. They can put in these little boxes that have no moving parts that almost never need to be serviced. Um, that will run uh, run the power on those lines for the next 40 years. Um, so um, uh, they've got some really, really cool uh, solutions. So um, we took that company public in November uh, last year on the Paris Euronext. Um, and uh, yeah, so so far, um, obviously, we're, we're aimed to identify other companies that we would acquire into that business. Um, but yeah, so far, lots of people are buying the shares and trading it. It's called CMG Cleantech, uh, the ticker's MLCMG. Uh, for anyone wants uh, into that kind of thing um and uh yeah it's a really exciting opportunity um blackrock reckon that uh, the next 1000 unicorns will be in the clean energy space and i can't disagree that the demand is incredible obviously at the time of recording this there's a um a catastrophe going on in eastern europe uh, uh which um has really brought everyone's focus to energy security um going forwards and not being reliant on um you know, uh, crazy dictatorships to buy oil and gas. And so, um, you know, decarbonizing the economy is now, is now no longer just about the climate change argument. It's now a matter of sort of national security as well and not emboldening your enemies. So I think it's going to be even further up the agenda because, you know, perhaps the people that might have been typically against the climate change agenda are definitely on board with the uh, World War Three agenda. So um, they were all preventing World War Three agenda. So I think um, you can pretty get a pretty much get a unanimous uh, vote now for clean and renewable energies, which has got to be good news for the planet. Very cool, and absolutely adored the the green conversation. And as a somebody that's not high up in politics and has no power whatsoever, the whole idea of not having anything that runs without being attached to a government switch terrifies shit on me. But we'll go there another day. <laughs> right now we're talking mergers and acquisitions. We're going to have fun with this. So, um, and I love the creativity and I love, especially in Dubai. I mean, I haven't been there for, God, it's probably been a decade now. And it has changed immensely since I've been there. But the innovation there, to me, was fantastic because there was almost no amount of money that couldn't be thrown at a problem. 
somebody goes, I want a building where every floor moves. And they're like, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, just, I think, uh, what? I think the, the thing that really attracted me to Dubai is it's the epitome of entrepreneurship because right? it's a shining example of making the impossible possible, which is what entrepreneurs do kind of every day before breakfast. Um, and uh, for people that don't know it, I think everyone has this crazy misconception about what Dubai is and what it stands for. And I would just say to all of those people, come, come and get it, get out of the airport, come and see the city, because you would not believe how cosmopolitan, modern, liberal, li liberal, not in the US, Canada sense of the word, because it's uh, you know, you have a different yeah, definition. <laughs> liberal, liberalizing kind of open, free and, uh, and uh, live and let live kind of attitude that, that's mm -hmm. here. Um, it does not meet with the, you know, the online reputation or perhaps the word of mouth reputation that it, it often gets. It really is one of the most comfortable, safe, relaxed places that you can live. And I mean, it has one of the lowest crime rates in the world, um, has a booming economy, very low taxes, um, everything functions, great medical care, um, incredible connections. Time zone is slap bang in the middle of the world. So I can speak to people like you in Canada without having to get up at stupid times in the morning like I, I did in Asia. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it really ticks an awful lot of boxes. So it's uh, yeah, fantastic. Place. Right, so, I yeah, absolutely adored it. And it's one of the few places on the planet where you can rent a yacht for the weekend, <laughs> affordably. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. I, I love it. I've tried that here. What? No, I have lots of friends with yachts. Why would I rent one? Oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Be that way. <laughs> fine. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um, so I, I know that our listeners are going to want more from you. How do they start their journey with you? Yeah, look, uh, I've got no particular axe to grind. Um, if you would like to find more about M&A, because I think this is a fascinating journey and I think it's a really interesting area uh, of entrepreneurship. Uh, but I also recognize it's not for everybody. You know, um, I, I've had arguments with entrepreneurs before about the fact that I don't make anything, you know, apart from money. Um, and, <laughs> they, uh, and they feel like, you know, that's not real entrepreneurship because I'm, you know, not the, but, but I think, um, you know, entrepreneurship is about creative problem solving. And I think one of the biggest problems that entrepreneurs have is creating their own financial freedom. And I think once they've created their own financial freedom, they then go on and solve some of the biggest problems in the world. If you look at entrepreneurs that have become, you know, financially wealthy in the first generation, old, old money is kind of a bit toxic and, and, and uh, we need to figure out how we deal with that. But new money is actually incredibly generous is fixing some of the biggest problems we have in the world and empowering entrepreneurs through wealth i think is probably the the greatest gift we can give to the planet because you know they will that's how we fix homelessness it's probably how we cure cancer it's probably how we solve some of the greatest challenges that we face is um, motivated entrepreneurs with money um they're they're going to find the the solutions to these things so um yeah i'm very much into that democratizing wealth kind of concept of entrepreneurship and i don't believe you can get wealthy stuck in a business you know bringing customers every day i think you need to get on your business and and create wealth by creating capital events um yeah if people want to find more um i'm on instagram i'm on twitter so jeremy j harper on uh, twitter uh, i'm on linkedin jeremy harbour i spell it as in the english way h-a-r-b-o-u-r um lots of people i've got lots of members in my community the harbour club which are these um deal sort of rabid deal makers running around the world doing all sorts of crazy um transactions which is all good fun you can there's a harbour club channel on youtube um there's a website harbourclubevents.com uh, where you can see stuff that we're up to there um so yeah, if it's, I, I would highly recommend just uh, go to you know jeremyharbour.com, 
have a read of some of the stuff there. Um, I've, I've published a few books. If you want to read Go Do Deals, that's all about what we've been talking about today. Um, there's another book called Agglomerate from Idea to IPO in 12 months, which covers some of the Go Public stuff. Um, so uh, yeah, just read and research a little bit and see if it's something that gets you excited. And if it gets you excited, then you can dash down the rabbit hole. If not, then uh, go back to um, the four hour work week or whatever you're reading before. <laughs> That's awesome. <clears throat> so um, I did want to ask you, who are your favorite clients or what are you looking for right now in a potential client? Like what's your absolute sweet spot? Yeah, there isn't really. So um, the great thing about doing deals is that you, you know, people always ask me what's my favorite deal, and of course it's always the next one. Um, it's it's a bit like a, it's a bit like a cocaine addict, I guess. It's they're they're waiting for the next one and the next one and the next one. Um, and um, and and it is it's exciting from that perspective because you're always doing something different. You're dealing with different people. You're learning different uh, things and understanding different industries. And so you know I love that dynamism and change, and I love um, solving problems. So. You know, businesses that are doing more than a million a year in profit and in a really interesting place um, are very interesting to me because I, I can help them grow. I can help them go public and help, help them do stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's pretty much, uh, um, you know, my my sweet spot within the Harvard Club community. I mean, I don't get involved in uh, um sort of the, the sales side of that, but um, certainly, you know, entrepreneurial people, they don't necessarily need to be entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurial people who are looking to um, learn how to do deals and execute um, deals for buying private companies. And the, and the focus we have there is how do you buy companies without um, bank loans or, um, you know, loads of lawyers' bills or um, loads of cash up front. So it's, it's creative deal structures. For people that want to find out about that kind of stuff, then uh, they should reach out because the Harbour Club community is a really great um, group of people and it's a very um, collegiate and collaborative place. And so, you know, it's not one of these things where we keep selling you stuff and there's all these upsells and gold, diamond, platinum clubs and things you can join. And it's just a single membership for life and an online community and app where everybody collaborates. And we do live events and things. I just did one, one in London. We have one in Boston coming up, actually, so not so far from you, um, where we call them Deal Fest, which is where we get um, three days of case studies from members going through deals that they've done, what went right, what went wrong, all the warts and, warts and wrinkles, fantastic networking. Um, uh, the one in London, I think it's the first live event we've done in a couple of years because of COVID. So um, the the bar action was pretty uh, pretty full on. I had to turn in quite early every night because uh, it was um, yeah everyone was quite quite excited to be out in public. I think. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> no whole world let loose. I did, I did tell them the, the, the law of diminishing returns when you when you're in the bar because it starts <laughs> it starts off with networking and very quickly moves to not working. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. And any networking you had done, you probably forgot what you had done. Exactly, so that yeah. is a moot point altogether. And that's no fun. You have been awesome and amazing. And I absolutely will have to have you back because I think there's so many areas that we can go into this and entrepreneurs need you and you're preaching to the choir. I personally think that the way to get the mass population to empower themselves and start taking control of issues that are going on is quit listening to propaganda and start becoming an entrepreneur and start solving problems. So absolutely. love, love. Um, yeah, so I have no, no, look, I'm, I'm telling people all the time as well, don't get lost in, look, politics makes you angry, don't get lost in politics, don't go on, on rants and fight. just focus on yourself, get on with life, get on with business, and uh, you can still be angry about that shit, just don't waste too much time. 
Exactly. Gonna, Unless you're a politician, there's just a bottle. Fairly soon. <laughs> 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 well, you don't have a bottle under the desk? Come on. No, no, it's downstairs, unfortunately. Oh, oh fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you, you alluded to it earlier, but I would love to know a little bit more of the story is, at what point in life did you know that you were that special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? I, I did it from scratch. So at uh, seven years old, I was cutting flowers down in my in my mum's garden and putting them in jam jars and trying to sell them outside the front door. So I was uh, it was something genetic that was in there that just meant that um, I, I was really yeah not not destined for anything else. And so yeah, it was definitely I think a nature not nurture scenario. <laughs> That is so cute. My son did the same thing. And I'm like, I hope that those are either from our garden or from the back alley, not from other people's gardens. Yeah, no, <laughs> they might I, I not be happy about that. They put my parents in a very difficult position. Do you chastise or do you, uh, you know, encourage? It's quite uh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I now know being a parent, I now know being a parent, they had no fucking idea what they were doing because I don't. You know, it's, um, it's one of the things you have infinitely more respect for your parents once you have kids because i mean we've got google so when when one of ours goes blue we can google it when back then they had nothing you know <laughs> we just look at them and go stop it stop i don't yeah, know right, what you're doing right. but stop it <laughs> i hope you don't die exactly. <laughs> awesome jeremy you've been fabulous any last words for our peeps no, look, uh, just get out there and, uh, and, and take action because um, it's all well and good listening to great podcasts and things like this and information is, uh, is key. You've got to always be you know, nurturing, nurturing yourself with, with new information, but, uh, but action is the differentiator. So uh, yeah, getting out and doing something, I just highly recommend. Awesome. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. If you know anyone who would make a great guest for the show, or if you have a question or topic you'd like me to discuss, reach out to me at michelle at awarenessstrategies.com or LinkedIn or Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, the notes for this show can be found at our website at awarenessstrategies.com slash blog. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, I like five stars personally, and share with your friends.